Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Jana Panaritis, and you're listening to the AgeWise podcast, where we give you strategies for aging well and wisely. And how do you do that when on top of struggling to meet the demands of your own life, you're also caring for an aging parent or a spouse, or maybe you're caring for another member of your family? Well, we're here to help. Each week, we'll hear from the experts, professionals in the field of aging, and people like you, unsung heroes rising to the occasion of caring for a loved one and finding unexpected rewards along the way. So stick around for some straight talk on aging in all its unpredictable glory. Victoria Negri says she always knew she needed to make a film about her father, Carmine. I'll let her explain why, but here's a hint. Vicky's a member of the millennial generation, but her father was a veteran of World War II, and he developed Parkinson's disease before Vicky turned 20. Knowing just that much, I definitely want to see her new film. Vicky's a graduate of NYU's Tisch School of the Arts for Drama, and her film Gold Star marks her debut as a director. Besides writing and directing the film, in it, Vicky plays her father's daughter. The Emmy Award-winning, Oscar-nominated actor Robert Vaughn plays Vicky's father. Writer, director, and actor Victoria Negri, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. Your film Gold Star hasn't been released yet, is that right? No, we're just playing the film festival circuit right now, and we're you know in talks with distributors, hopefully, to um, either lock a deal for VOD or theatrical, or um, I'm actually amping up to do my own theatrical, but I'm hopefully getting a distributor for VOD, which is like Netflix, Amazon, iTunes, stuff like that. Right. I've only seen the trailer, but I want to try and separate the real-life story from the film, since obviously there are differences. So let's start with the Mm real-life story and knowing that we'll probably overlap a little bit. You're 29 years old, right? And you'll be 30 this year. How- right, I'm turning 30 yeah. in a month, a month from today, actually, oh, wow. November 25th. Well, I know, it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. I feel like my 20s, obviously, a, a lot happened and a lot, cha- huge changes in my life, both personally and with my career. So I'm excited to settle down in my 30s. And, you know, I feel like I'm just starting to figure everything out. Yeah. The 20s were pretty crazy. Well, let's talk about those. Yeah, I'm not not scared about 30. Good, good. (laughs) So you were raised in Connecticut. And how old was your dad when you were born? So my dad was 63 when I was born. And he had three children from his first marriage, his first wife passed away. And my mom um, is 37 years younger than than my dad was. So my half siblings are right around my mother's age. So I'm the middle of three children from my father's marriage to my mother. Okay. So my dad had six kids in total. And my brother is a year, 10 months younger than me. So that kind of gives you an idea of the age range. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was born into a very unusual situation. People in the grocery store, you know, or out and about would think that my, my father was my grandfather. And I actually don't remember this, but my mom told me that some people were really judgmental about it at one point. Hmm. So we were we were out in a grocery store and a woman came up to my father and said, oh, what beautiful grandchildren you have. <laughs> and I think I commented or my, maybe my sister did saying, oh, he's actually, that's my dad, not my grandpa. Hmm. And the woman said to my father, shame on you for being so much older the only things I really noticed about my dad, and I don't know how old I was, but 
The most amount of time I spent one-on-one with my dad, I had piano lessons with him every night since I was probably four years old through Hmm. graduating high school and going away to college. So I had, you know, that time with him every single night to sit with him and learn and talk. And I remember at a very young age looking at him and watching him play piano and looking at his hands and seeing how old they looked. Hmm. And I have conscious memories of looking at his eyebrows and starting to notice that there were more white hairs than dark hairs in Hmm. his eyebrows. And that was something that none of my other friends' parents had. But it was strange because my father was so physically fit. He ran the New York City Marathon when he was 65 years old. Wow. He was doing six-minute miles in his 70s. Oh, my gosh. uh, Winning road races. Yeah, really physically fit. So while he was so much older, he was extremely active and had a ton of energy, which I think is mainly because he had such a younger wife. He's trying to keep up and raise young children, Hmm. and he was a great father. Hmm. But it was unusual because I lived with this constant fear of losing. I You do the math in your head and you, sure. you think when I'm in my 30s, my dad's going to be in his 90s and what will that be like? Mm-hmm. So I really feel like I stuck by his side a lot. It's that battle between being a teenager and being impatient and wanting to carve out your own life and rebel against your parents versus mm-hmm. knowing you realistically only have so much time with them. And so I went away to NYU, which isn't far from where I grew up. It's just a 90-minute train ride. Mm -hmm. But he was diagnosed uh, with Parkinson's, I think, when I was 19. And I remember, once again, because he was so physically fit, Mm -hmm. he was really good at hiding the signs of it. And we don't know how long he had it uh, when it was diagnosed, but his body started to fail him in that way. He was also a painter in addition to a piano player. Mm. And I just remember watching him not be able to practice or explore these artistic gifts that he had. He couldn't paint anymore. He lost dexterity. He couldn't play piano. I remember hearing him trying to play a Chopin piece and then just banging the keys frustrated because his hands were just failing him. Mm -hmm. And this is all, I'm probably around 20 years old, Mm -hmm. having to watch, and um, this happens to so many You know, people, you watch your parents age and watch their body fail them when their brain still, and he would always say to me, brain over body or mind over matter, I can do it, I can do it. Mm -hmm. So that was really frustrating and I started to spend more time with him, try to have deep conversations with him, learn about him. And then, uh, you know, a few years passed, the Parkinson's kept affecting him and he kept battling it, and then he had a stroke in 2011, September 2011, combined with pneumonia, actually. Mm-hmm. He was battling pneumonia and had then had a stroke. And uh, another example, he was hiding the pneumonia. We had no idea he had it. And then when he had the stroke, he couldn't battle the pneumonia. So he was in ICU, and they had to give him a trach. Mm-hmm. And he was in ICU for a while, and that's actually when I started writing the screenplay. But, you know, he was in ICU and then he went to rehab and then he came home and he lost his ability to speak, eat and move much other than um, he could like kick his legs a little bit and move one arm and kind of move his hand. But again, because of the Parkinson's, he battling that on top of the stroke, any kind of dexterity, he couldn't hold a pencil, 
or speak to communicate. So we use letters on a magnet board so Mm -hmm. that he could slide the letters in place and we can try and communicate that way. Mm -hmm. So the stroke happened September. He came home to live in my mom's house in February of 2012. And Mm -hmm. then he passed away in November of 2012. Mm -hmm. So those months I was back and forth between New York, where I live now, and Connecticut to help my mom and my brother and sister also helped to take care of my father. But mm-hmm. that that last year after he had the stroke, I feel very lucky to have because he, he probably should have passed away that week of the stroke. It was, you know, on top of the pneumonia, all the, the doctors were telling my mom and because she's such a strong woman, she obviously was hiding how intense it was from the family for better or worse. But all the doctors were saying he probably wasn't going to make the week. But I really learned a lot. It's strange to say, and I really feel like I did. I learned a lot from my father in that last year of his life, even though he couldn't speak. I mean, obviously, there were strangely still fights that happened. We'd get frustrated with him. He would get frustrated with us. Anytime you're taking care of somebody, those things happen. You're still human. But there were a lot of amazing moments of just learning how to enjoy being with somebody without the pressure of a conversation and just enjoying each other's company. But his attitude really shone through. Mm -hmm. You were in college when he was diagnosed with Parkinson's, and so and then things kind of went downhill from there. How did you deal with it emotionally? What sort of feelings did you grapple with, and how did you keep up with your schoolwork? It was really hard. It was hard. I mean, yeah, I, I think... I have that kind of work ethic that only somebody, well, not only, but especially because my father was one of the greatest generation, that work ethic of, you know, depression era mm-hmm. <laughs> was right. instilled in me. So I, my, my grades didn't slide. I'm pretty good at compartmentalizing. You got to do the work, no matter how upset you are, not doing your work isn't going to change anything. So mm-hmm. I think that attitude has served me throughout my life. But did you yeah, talk about a lot. it? <laughs> did, did you talk about I, it with I, your friends? Yeah, I talked about it with my friends, with my boyfriend. Yeah, I remember I was I was actually in acting school at NYU, and I had a, a meeting with an agent the night I found out he was diagnosed. And I remember I just started crying in front of her, and I said, "Look, I'm sorry. Today's been a rough day." And I just started crying, and it was actually. You know, you get nervous that these people you meet with in the industry are sure. kind of robotic and not empathetic, but she was really, really kind about it. It was a really rough day. But I remember constantly Googling, if this is happening with my father, <laughs> what are the statistics of how long he'll be alive? Mm-hmm. It was rough. And I went home a lot. I mean, I've always, I, I, I always wish I had done a semester abroad and, and traveled more in school, but... I stayed put uh, and was back and forth on a train a lot, especially because once my father couldn't walk so well anymore, he couldn't come into the city to visit. So I was I was on a train a lot going home. And I have a really huge family, so there were a lot of good excuses. So, you know, I probably would have to go home regardless, but I love I, I just love my family and I was on a train a lot. <laughs> uh-huh. So d- did the rest of the folks oh. rally around your dad? Because that's can be oh, kind of tricky. Completely. That's good. My mother especially, I don't know I don't know how she does it. She sacrificed so much for my father, especially after the stroke. But even before the stroke, when he had Parkinson's, she never made him feel bad about it. And always, you know, there's a certain pride that I think people, when they're struggling with a disease like Parkinson's or, you know, trying to recover from a stroke, 
that sometimes they aren't treated like they're human anymore mm-hmm. or the, or less than they're babied almost. And my mother never did that to my father. He, he was pretty stubborn. He, he refused to use a cane mm-hmm. when the Parkinson's started to really affect him. So my mom would say, you know, you can just walk next to me and lean on me. Just use me. We'll get you from A to B. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, just to maintain his dignity, I guess, is the best word for it. Mm-hmm. Dressing him in the morning, never throwing him in clothing just because it was easy to put on him. Making sure he looked good, even if he wasn't going to leave the house that day. Little things like that that people don't notice unless they're aware of how difficult it is. Because we'd have family show up and visit my father, and my mom was really good at making it look like any other day. Nothing's different, and I think that really helped my father's and my siblings and my attitude towards, oh, he's, he can get better because mm. we're all chipping in. But, um, yeah, my mom was really the, the rock. Mm-hmm. She's the rock of the family. Mm-hmm. But people don't, don't die know. from Parkinson's. They, your dad was obviously going to progress with the Parkinson's. The stroke yeah. is what did it, right? His heart just stopped. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, his heart, after a year, his heart just stopped working, just slowed down. My mom was putting him to bed, and she kissed him goodnight, and she said he had a smile on his face, and mm. his hand was on her, and then it just dropped, and mm. he passed. She said it was a, a beautiful moment, but hmm. I don't know. I mean, it makes me less it makes me less afraid of dying in a strange way because she said it seems so easy for him. But hmm. the Parkin, yeah, Parkins. I and I've known my my boyfriend's grandmother passed away not from the Parkinsons, but it shuts. It just basically shuts your body down. Right. I mean, and, and everything with my father was cumulative. I'm sure the stroke and pneumonia kept coming back mm-hmm. with the Parkinson's on top of it. I mean, he was he was battling a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And how old was um, he when he died? He was 88. 88. And how's your mom doing now? Yeah. She was like, widowed young. Yeah, my mom's young. It's, it's hard. She, she loves my dad. My dad was everything to her. But she's such a strong woman. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to see any um, chinks in her armor. But they're there. Yeah, I, she's she's starting to, to be more open and about it but yeah I'm, I'm i'm really lucky to have had the parents and that i that i have because the love between them was so special and i realize it's it's really strange from the outside to hear about a 37 year age difference and it's not like my father's a multi-millionaire he was a teacher <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> it was clearly just love like they really loved each other how, um how did they meet my dad was actually my mom's teacher, well, art teacher cool. and, oh, okay. and piano. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's and then really... his first, yeah, his first wife passed away, and oh, then my mom, very sad. mom was there. Uh huh. Is your mom yeah. still in the house that you grew up in? Still living there? My mom is still in the house we grew up in, mm-hmm. and my dad built that house, so it's really you're in that house and you just feel like surrounded by him. Yeah. Um, I don't think we can ever sell it or get rid of it. It's been she's been. And I mean, this is with her processing all of it, too. She's starting to get rid of more and more of his things. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's four years after he passed away. So it's it's hard. Yeah. It's interesting uh, how a house, yeah. a house becomes a part of the family's history. And it's almost like another member of the family. It's really hard to let go of a house that you've grown up in. Yeah. So you touched on this before, but I want to kind of revisit it. You said um, in your director's statement, I feel like I learned the most about my father and vice versa in his last year alive. What did you learn about yeah. him? And what did he learn about you? 
Well, I learned some simple things, like surprisingly he shared some stories on the magnet board um, when we were spelling things out like that I'd never heard. One that I'll never forget is I was driving home from upstate New York after a film shoot, and I was telling him we almost hit a bear upstate, ran across the road, and he started smiling, and he motioned for me to bring the magnet board over, and he spelled out bear, and it took so long. And I think what I really learned is how to be patient because just getting this one story out of him, painstakingly dragging letters across the magnet board and helping him do that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he he told me this story about how a bear, when his mother was young in the early 20th century in New Haven, (laughs) a bear left claw marks on her front door. And that's a story I'd never heard before. But I think I learned patience. And I just wanted to be optimistic. I, I, mm-hmm. I couldn't believe that my father, the position he was in looking from him, I wouldn't want anyone in that position, but he still wanted to be there. My mother actually said to him, I'm so sorry. I fought so hard for you to not lose you because we almost lost him at one point, giving him the trach because he couldn't breathe because of the pneumonia. My mom was really saying to the doctors, do anything you can to Mm -hmm. to keep him with us. Mm -hmm. And she said, I hope you are okay, even though you're like this, but we're going to work on it. And he spelled out, no, I want to be here. Mm -hmm. And it's that kind of attitude toward life, I think. I learned that, and he always would say to me, life goes so quickly. I really learned to not be afraid of anything, because if he wasn't afraid of his situation and was still, the last time I saw him in person, he was doing lots of therapy. I forget what it's called, but you blow into the tube and try to move the yeah. ball up and down to right. work on your breathing. Right. The last time I was with him, he was working really hard on doing that. And then we were having fun blowing out matches, um, <laughs> lit matches. Mm-hmm. And for somebody to, to do that, and he was laughing and having a great time hmm. to have that outlook. What kind of stress in my life? Separate from, you know, losing my father and and that, my worries are nothing. I'm physically great. Nothing's wrong. I can do anything I want. I'm lucky to have been brought up in a supportive family that isn't holding me back on my dreams. So what what am I afraid of? What's making me sad? It just changed my outlook on everything. Mm-hmm. And it's why I made the movie. I think I would have never made that movie if I didn't go through what I went through with my father. Mm-hmm. And... What he learned about me, I wish I could ask him. Um, (laughs) I think he learned that, well, actually, you know, I I did ask him about, because I could tell that the Parkinson's was getting really bad. I was pretty desperate to spend time with my father. I lived home the whole summer before his stroke in September. And I was at the grocery store with my mom and he didn't feel like walking inside because some days it was more difficult than others. So I said, yeah, I'll hang out in the car with you while mom goes inside and gets stuff. And Mm -hmm. I said to him, you've been around. What do you think the meaning of life is? And he said, having a family you love and taking care of them. And he had the stroke about a month after that. Mm -hmm. And I think he learned from me that it's okay to let other people take care of you. I think he learned that what he defined as the meaning of life, I hope, was true because he wasn't left alone. We all were there and made sure he was okay. 
Yeah, that's nice. I wish I could ask. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I know. I, know I, I wish I could ask my dad. He's no longer living. Well, let's talk about the film. Making films is really hard. And this is your debut feature. <laughs> um, you wrote, directed, and star in the film. Why did you make it? And what do you think this film is about on a deeper level? Yeah, I mean, it's been a five-year process. I started, like I said, I started working on it right after my father's stroke. I started writing in the hospital. And I think for many reasons, I think my life felt so out of control at that point. At that point, I was aggressively pursuing a career in acting, Mm -hmm. and nothing about that field is that you're in control of. There's nothing, nothing in my life felt like I had any kind of hold on it. So I was writing something for two reasons. It was helping me channel what I was going through, and also I said, you know what, I'm going to write this to give myself a good acting part. I'm not excited about anything else out there. Nothing's juicy for me. I'm not getting roles that I like or even getting many roles. So let me... It gave me an outlet to channel my frustrations and do and to feel like I was in control of something. And then once my father passed away, that whole year I was working on the script. I was also interviewing directors and nobody really understood what I was going through or going for in the film. Mm -hmm. I wrote the whole thing with my house in mind, with all the locations. I I could see the film in my head because it was so personal. Mm -hmm. And the more I interviewed directors, the more I realized it scared me that I was giving somebody else control of my story and I didn't want somebody else to ruin it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I, if anyone, I kept thinking if anyone's going to screw this up, I might as well be the person <laughs> to do it. <laughs> so, so I, I made the decision to direct and act in it, which I'm really, really happy I did because I think I would have been extremely distracted if somebody was giving me direction I disagreed with, or you know, vice versa if an actor wasn't getting across the really complicated emotions that I was trying to write mm-hmm. in the film. But I was exhausted for a while. (laughs) Did you say you wrote this in part at your father's bedside while he was in the hospital? Yeah, I brought my laptop because for my day job, I can work anywhere where my laptop is. I just Mm -hmm. need my computer. Mm -hmm. So I spent a lot of time at home in Connecticut for weeks on end for entire days in the hospital uh, because my mom never left his side. She would be in the hospital when it opened and would leave when they kicked her out. And I didn't want her sitting there all day alone. Um, And my brother and sister and other, you know, extended family members, my half siblings also went, but we didn't want her there all alone because a lot of the time my dad was basically unconscious until toward the end when he went to rehab, then he was awake. But Mm -hmm. especially in the ICU period, you know, she was just sitting there being a presence, hoping that he would feel her there. So yeah, I spent a lot of time just on my laptop in the corner writing it because there was nothing else to do. Right. Also. You have a lot of time um, in a hospital. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's that and then quick walks around the hallways or waiting in the waiting room when they were doing things we couldn't be in the room for. Mm-hmm. Was it hard to separate the real life events from the fictionalized version? It wasn't until my father passed away, actually, which is strange. I didn't really know what the story was until after I lost him uh-huh. because I, I hadn't yet processed that mm-hmm. journey of, of mm-hmm. that year. Mm-hmm. I'll bet it changed significantly. It changed, it changed a ton. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, that makes sense. How did the crew and the actors react to this story? Were there any sort of spontaneous sharing of similar experiences? Well, actually, our associate producer, Greg White, his father 
who he lost, although I don't know, you know, if he was taking care of him at any point, but his father was in World War II and also in the Army Air Corps like my father was. So he had a very personal connection to this story about a big generation gap. And he's older than I am, Mm -hmm. but he still had a pretty big age difference with Mm -hmm. his dad. And I know Robert, so so Robert Vaughn plays my dad, and he has no lines in the film, actually. And he told me that's why he got really excited to do it, because it was a huge acting challenge um, yeah. for him. Well, I'm old enough to remember watching uh, Robert Vaughn in The Man from U.N.C.L.E. Yeah, um, I've, seen, I've seen it a whole bunch. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a really groovy show. We should say for our listeners, Robert Vaughn has acted in a lot of films and TV shows, and in 1998, he received his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. So how did, yes. how did Robert Vaughn happen to become attached to the film? So we hired a casting director, Judy Bowman, who she knew his manager and got in touch with him that way. Best decision, um, well, one of the great decisions. There are so many people that worked on the film that I'm thrilled um, on the crew side. But yeah, she she got us, Robert, and helped us, you know, with all of the actors. I would have never been able to do that on my own. They would have. <laughs> he's he's, um, he's You got to hire him. Right. So how old is Robert Vaughn now? Robert will be 84 uh, in November. His birthday is a few days before mine. Uh-huh. And what was his take on the role? I'm curious to know how he approached it and if he had any sort of comments that you recall about the story. Yeah, I mean, we were, he was very open to hearing, you know, because he obviously viewed it as playing somebody who, a person that existed. So he was picking my brain about my father. I sent him photos of us together. We talked about exactly what happened, the effects of the stroke physically, so he could work on that. And I kind of showed him how my father's hands, we would work on that, he would do it, and then I would show him. And just we really talked through the physicality of it because the stroke can do many different things Mm -hmm. to different people. And yeah, he was very open and the, the conversations we had were great. Even my sister was on set one day and he cornered her and was just asking her family stories. He really wanted to get to know my family and he he kept saying, you know, your dad must have been an amazing person. You're making a a film about this experience with him. And he also commented on, because my dad was an artist, he would paint my mom these big hearts and things for her birthday and Valentine's Day. And we have those around the house. And he was like, wow, the love between your parents is very obvious hmm. but yeah he he was great about just really trusting me i was i'm just so honored and lucky that a veteran actor who has done so many things would sign on to my project and really just commit to it without an ego mm-hmm. and he, yeah he kept saying like she knows this better than anyone because she went through it so it was a very good back and forth on especially working out the physicality of the role Mm-hmm. Well, that's a really juicy part for someone his age, male or female. Yeah, yeah. So you used a lot of non-actors in the film, too, including nurses and employees of the rehab facility where your dad spent several months after his series of strokes. How did the non-actors respond to making of the film, and were there any surprises for you? Yeah, I mean, yeah. first of all, I was incredibly lucky that Gaylord Rehab in Connecticut welcomed us to shoot there. That's actually where my father stayed. And it was really uh, cathartic for me and mm-hmm. strange because mm-hmm. I hadn't been there. And I did a location scout a month before we shot to, to walk around the hospital with our cinematographer and producers and, and get a feel for, you know, where we would be shooting. And it was strange because, like I said, I wrote a lot of the scenes, you know, in the waiting room there and my dad's room. And then we ended up shooting across the hall. Uh, <laughs> very strange. But, yeah. Um, yeah, the non-actors were fantastic and actually my grandmother 
small role in the film. Great. Yeah, my mom's mother. And I knew she would be good because she's she's not shy at all and she's um outspoken and an interesting woman. But some of her moments are good for um a break in the drama. We're getting a lot of good reactions at festival screenings so mm-hmm. far. Of, what role does your grandmother uh, her play? Part. So we can be on the she lookout. Plays, so my my character works. Yeah, my character works in a gym, a late night shift in a gym, and mm-hmm. she's uh, this woman that I keep bumping into who works out at like three a.m. overnight. <laughs> okay. She's kind of lonely and notices me texting somebody and asking me about my life. Okay. Yeah, her character name is Leslie. Okay, so your um, grandmother's the yeah. same age as your dad, probably. <laughs> Close. My grandmother's younger. 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 <laughs> wow. But your dad was so vigorous and inspiring. Yeah. How inspiring was that? Wow. So the film had its world premiere at the Buffalo Film Festival just recently, right? Mm-hmm. In October. What was the audience response like? Tell us about it. Yeah, it was um, October 7th. The audience response was, well, we won the audience award. Oh, that's awesome. So I didn't clearly, know that. Yeah, we just found out. Uh, I got it in the mail yesterday. It's this beautiful um, glass buffalo statue. Fantastic. Um, yeah, they um, clearly liked it because of that. But uh, for me, it's so hard watching the film and being in the audience. I could hear, You could just feel the mood and then feel the moments where people need to laugh, laughing at the right time. But afterwards, people coming up to me and... Uh, crying and clearly moved by it you know trying to tell me how much it meant to them and I can see them holding back tears and uh I wish I could have had more in-depth conversations with people Mm -hmm. because it was a lot of people trying to say things to me at once right after the film ended Mm -hmm. but clearly people were moved and you know I've heard a lot of people say it's so real um I went through that with my parents yeah a lot of people are relating to it especially people that have had to take care of somebody else I tried to just make a really honest it's not easy and you're not always going to be kind to the person and my character has a lot of moments where she's not so sympathetic and she takes things and because she's young she takes things out on her loved ones or runs away and doesn't want to be there so mm-hmm. I think that's something that especially people that have been through it can relate to and people have been telling me that so mm-hmm. it's been I mean even this right now I'm talking to you it's, it's been really fantastic I, I made this film when I felt despite having a, a loving family I felt very alone because not many other people my age understood what I was going through because they saw my father when everything was okay mm-hmm. and he was in the chair and present or they would just hear about it and know that I was going home to help out but no one really knew the extent and mm-hmm. I didn't know anyone I could talk about it with but now that the film is starting to roll out and people are seeing it and I'm having conversations like this it's helping me but <laughs> I really mm-hmm. hope it's going to help people that see it feel less alone if they're going through what I went through. Well that kind of gets to the question I was going to ask what do you hope people will take away from the film? It's funny because the more I think about the film and the more I hear about how people are reacting, the more my feelings about it change. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> you know, art can be instinctual. Sometimes you can overthink things and right, then it won't right, be interesting. Right. But yeah, like I said, I hope people watch it and feel like it's okay not to be perfect, I think is what I would want people to realize. And you're never going to have this beautiful cinematic like I, I hate in movies and I tried to avoid this in my film any kind of sentimentality cheesiness any kind of beautiful last goodbye with your parent where you tell them how much you love them and you know it's going to be okay and you hold their dying hand because I didn't have that I said goodbye to my father and thought I was going to see him 
two weeks later because no matter how bad somebody is, you think there will always be a tomorrow. And then when there isn't, even though my father was paralyzed, not eating or speaking, I kept thinking and hoping there would be a tomorrow. So I think people will be able to relate to a certain level of being in denial and like I said, not being the perfect person for your for your relative. Um, and that's why it's called actually called Gold Star. It's about trying to be the perfect child for your parent. You get that gold star mm-hmm. if you do a good job on things. Mm-hmm. And no one's ever going to be perfect. Even if you're taking care of somebody, it's impossible. And, it's, and, and I think I want people to know that that's okay because I, I definitely was not perfect. I had a lot of fights with my siblings in front of my dad, hmm. fights with my mom. <laughs> Over what? Yeah, I was... I was young. Well, one, one example was funny. They're all funny in retrospect because emotions are so heightened. Right. Um, everything is so amped up because you're you're holding it all together all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so one one day I left. We left the hospital. My mom was staying behind with my dad, and I was home with my brother and sister. And we were trying to figure out what we wanted for dinner. None of us felt like cooking. But also, we were all too tired to really make a decision. (laughs) And I I think I started screaming and was like, fine, I'll just make a decision. And my brother, I don't remember exactly what my brother said to me. And I happened to be holding a plastic cup of water. And I just threw it across the kitchen. And I was like, I don't even want to eat tonight. (laughs) And I ran to my room like a (laughs) 10-year-old and just slammed the door. I'm like, I don't feel like doing this. Oh I just God. I don't even want to eat, but things like that. Yeah. Over once when my dad was home, my sister and I wanted to go see a movie, and we were gonna miss the movie because she was doing something that was gonna make us late. And we were driving to the theater, and I don't remember what happened, but we got in a huge fight. And she said, "I'm just gonna get out of the car," and I said, "Fine, get out of the car," and I stopped <laughs> the car. I didn't think she would actually get out of the car, <laughs> and she did. <laughs> and then I drove away, and then I felt like a terrible person for driving away. I was like, oh, God, what am I doing? So I drove back to get her, and she was gone. Oh, no. So I drove home. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. So I drove home, and I said to my mom, Tiffany got out of the car and just walked away. Meanwhile, my father's sitting there, and it was a downpour outside. Oh, my <laughs> And my God. father's sitting there looking at us like, oh, my God, everything's falling apart. <laughs> but wow. it's these kind of over-the-top things. Where was Tiffany? Where did, she, know, you, where did she end up? She just kept walking. Oh, <laughs> my she, mom found her like two oh, feet. Oh it was God. nighttime, and there's not much uh, lighting in my um in my neighborhood. You know, from a semi, it's not rural, but they're, they're, my town's pretty dark at night. Right. But yeah, really melodramatic stuff oh, like God. that, where my dad just oh, he God. was sitting in the family room, like, oh God, my insane family. Uh-huh. <laughs> Why don't we talk about dying in this country? This was a question that I had for you earlier, but I I just kind of mm-hmm. thought of it. What? And I'm, I'll bet you have a take on this. Why don't we talk about dying in this country? Do you think? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I I talk about it all the time. Yeah, me it, too. Since my father out. died, <laughs> it really yeah, it really. And I, I from a young age, I talked about it a lot because I've been so conscious of it. I'm so open about it because I we all are going to die. Everybody is going to pass away why are we ignoring it i feel like when when we ignore it we're not living life to the fullest and we're just going through motions and you know regardless of how religious you are it doesn't matter what you believe we all end up whatever that is people are people are afraid of it and i was having i was having a conversation actually with the editor of my film last week we were talking about dying um over coffee <laughs> <laughs> and um i was saying to him that 
dying and death for me are two very different things. I'm not afraid of death, but I am afraid of the process of dying because mm. I don't know what that will be. Mm-hmm. And to me, the, the two conversations are, are separate mm-hmm. because death is the mystery. Dying is something that we can somewhat control. Maybe have a say in or uh-huh. right. family, family, or maybe have a say in it. Exactly. Right. Huh. So, yeah, I hmm. just, I think people are very afraid of the unknown. I mean, I, I'm afraid of it to an extent, but I'm, I'm curious. It's a, it's a mystery that I wish it's, it will never know what happens right. Um, right. Until, right. until it happens. And that really fascinates me. Maybe it's solvable, but it's the only, right now at least, unsolvable. Well, there's so many mysteries <laughs> in, in the <laughs> You're universe. You're going down but a rabbit hole now. But that's the one I. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh my god! Okay. <laughs> Once people start talking about death or black holes, it's a very I, 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 <laughs> oh god, yeah, yeah, I get so existential. But yeah, I just think people are afraid. People are afraid of what they don't know and are afraid to talk about it because being gone is terrifying yeah when do you think about your father the most i think about him all the time yeah um but more times than others really good at you know when i'm working on something concentrating but because he was my piano teacher anytime i'm playing piano or listening to music that reminds me of him Uh inevitably he'll pop into my head really aggressively or when I'm running, my dad was a big runner, and I've definitely inherited that and taken that on. I think about him a lot. I've run a bunch of marathons since oh, wow. he passed away. That's great. And I really, yeah, and I really like to use that time to think about him on purpose, actually, to put him in my head and think, you know, if he was fighting that last year when he couldn't move, I should push my body because it's working, hmm. and I want to see what I'm capable of. But yeah, definitely music. I'm trying to get more into practicing piano. It was really painful after he passed away to sit down in front of, in front of the keys and look at the sheet music that he, you know, wrote on for me and would put little notes. And I'm lucky I have that. He taught me that. So I'm, he always said, you'll like this one day. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> That's so uh, cute. When you're, when you're five, you don't want to be That's forced so every night to play piano necessarily. <laughs> wow. You didn't have him for as long as you wanted, but it sounds like you got so much while you had him. Yeah, I'm really lucky because I know yeah. a lot of people that don't have great relationships with their parents. I got a lot from him, he, and he impacted a lot of people. One of the executive producers on our film was a piano student of his. Hmm. Yeah, he, he cool. touched a lot of lives. Oh. Well, what's next for you and what's next for the film? So what's next for the film? We have November is National Caregivers Month, as, right. as I'm sure you know. So we're going to be playing at Gaylord Rehab, where we shot and where my dad stayed. They have um, an auditorium we're going to be showing there Friday, November 18th. And if anyone listening is in Connecticut, if you go to Gaylord's Facebook page, Gaylord Rehab Facility, they're going to be posting a flyer with information on how to call the reserve tickets. So we're showing there. And then first week, actually on Pearl Harbor Day, we're showing in Bethel, Connecticut. So we're doing a few Connecticut screenings on December 7th mm-hmm. uh, at Bethel Cinemas. So we have a few film festival screenings coming up. And then we're going to be doing festivals through the early summer to mm-hmm. continue, you know, building our audience and things like that. Right. Um, and for me personally, while I wrap up, you know, distribution and releasing this film, I'm writing something else that I'm really excited about shooting hopefully not so long after Gold Star gets out there, but it's tentatively titled Ultra. 
about a young ultramarathon runner. She's the best in the world, and she's running a 100-mile race through Death Valley and suffers a psychotic break with reality. So it's going to be really surreal and intense, and I'm definitely not going to be starring in it. <laughs> I'm going to get someone else to do that. But I'm excited about finishing up writing it and directing it. Uh, yeah, very different from, yeah. from the first movie, but dealing with a lot of the same existential kind of themes, mm-hmm. especially distance running brings up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe you'll get a comedy in there yeah. eventually. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I do, uh, there are some really funny moments yeah. in Gold Star. I just, I don't know why my brain tends to go to the darker stuff, yeah. but there are lighthearted moments. Well, do you have any <laughs> last thoughts before we go and tell us where can listeners go to learn more about the film? Yeah, um, to learn some more about the film, we are on all of social media. We're on Facebook at Gold Star Film, Twitter, Gold Star Film, and our website is goldstar-film.com. So yeah, you can see the trailer and all those places, and please sign up for our mailing list, okay. uh, which is on the website. Great. But yeah, no other final thoughts. This has been really fantastic. Yeah, thank you. Victoria Negri, she wrote, directed, and stars in the film Gold Star about a young music school dropout who struggles to make sense of her aimless life while caring for her dying 90-year-old father. The film stars Robert Vaughn, Catherine Curtin, and our guest, Victoria Negri. We'll have a bunch of links on the AgeWise website to this thought-provoking film, which will be released in 2017. So be sure to check those out and keep up with all the latest developments on the film. Vicki, thanks so much for being on the show. It was really great chatting with you, and best of luck with the film. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another new episode. In the meantime, if you don't want to miss any episodes, head on over to the AgeWise website. That's A-G-E-W-Y-Z dot com. And subscribe to the podcast. We've got lots of great interviews and links to information you can use. The AgeWise podcast is produced by me, Jana Panaritis. So if you'd like to be on the show or just tell us what you think about it, send an email to Jana at AgeWise.com. Remember, every caregiver has a story. I want to hear yours.